afternoon and welcome to Power for the People here on Solar Power WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and everywhere in our solar system at WERU.org. I'm your host, Steve Cowell. As regular listeners know, the goal of Power for the People is to help you understand the energy policies, technology, and solutions in our state and for your life. And we are certainly going to talk about that part today. Uh, with the goal to help you reduce your energy costs and hopefully reduce your impact on the environment and on the climate. My guest today is Matt Scott of Dave's World in Ellsworth, and we will in fact be talking in detail about heat pumps, which is their specialty. We've talked about heat pumps uh, tangentially many times on this program, including having Efficiency Maine uh, on several times to talk about their rebates, uh, but this is the first time we've actually focused an entire program on heat pumps, and so hopefully that will uh, be helpful to you. Uh, but before, uh, as is my habit, before we get to Matt, I want to talk about some headlines that have crossed my internet feed recently since the last program. So uh, first one is that Maine has released its long-awaited offshore wind power roadmap, uh, which actually has target dates in it now. Um, and you'll recall that uh, back uh, when um, when Republican LePage was in power, uh, there in, was governor, there was a, uh, a Republican plan for offshore drilling along the East Coast. And the only governor who supported that was LePage. But as a result of that, he uh, resisted the uh, the idea to move forward with wind power. Uh, so that is uh, a, 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 something that is out there for you to take a look at if you want. Just Google main wind power, sorry, offshore wind roadmap. Um, and I'm working on lining up guests for this topic for a future program. Uh, there was a report that just came out from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory that the US is projected to reach 80% clean energy by 2030, which is matching Maine's previously announced target. Uh, and uh, I'll just go uh, editorially and say, as we've talked about this in this program, that I, I'm convinced that renewables are unstoppable now due to market forces and basic economics, uh, despite uh, attempts in red states to somehow legislate uh, to make fossil fuels profitable. Uh, you know, the fossil fuels are a finite resource. And if we don't come up with renewables to replace that finite resource, uh, sometime in this century, we're all, I have to go back and living in caves and burning wood and without any cell phones. And uh, I'm not sure most people would like that. There was a, a third item. There was a, a lengthy item in, item, article in the Bangor Daily News recovering reports by the Public Utilities Commission that community solar, um, that, that it was not particularly uh, uh, complimentary about community solar, and, uh, and mentioned that non-solar ratepayers are subsidizing community solar. I read the article twice and couldn't figure out how that was, but it did refer to subsidies in the legislation that jump-started that gold rush towards community solar. And we've covered, covered the community solar on this program before, and we'll come back and do it again. Um, because I think it's an important issue and we see them popping up everywhere out there um, and uh, including doing clear cuts. Uh, listeners know that I'm a big fan of solar in general. Community solar, I'm worried, is again in the gold rush category and uh, needs further uh, legislation perhaps. And I will just say, if you have solar PV on your rooftop, you've made a great choice to control your electrical costs and everybody remember the 30% tax credit for rooftop solar has been extended for 10 years by the uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and that's true unless the Republicans can find a way to repeal that act, which 
they have uh, promised to do. And finally, uh, leading into our conversation with Matt Scott, we've talked about in this program about the beneficial electrification for our economy, including heat pumps. Um, listeners will know that my home is heated with two heat pumps. I actually took the boiler out because I didn't want to use it. It was an old one. Uh, and I have a, a hybrid hot water heater in my basement as well. Uh, and uh, it has worked out uh, glowingly. And we probably will talk about that here in this uh, in this uh, program. Uh, and a recent article in Clean Technica uh, projects that widespread adoption of heat pumps, just adoption of heat pumps in the United States could reduce U.S. totally total energy consumption by as much as 60%. And Matt, you and I were talking before the program started that uh, your estimates are anywhere between 40 and 60. Uh, and in, in my home, I mean, it, uh, I don't have any question about that being realistic. Uh, and so to me, that does... Uh, refute the projections that we need a grid that's going to be four or five or 10 times bigger in the next few decades. Uh, again, a topic to be discussed here on a future power for the people. And again, the perfect lead-in to Matt Scott of Dave's World. Uh, their headquarters is in Dover Foxtrot. They have offices, stores in Ellsworth, Scarborough, and Wyndham. And uh, Matt is the co-owner and has graciously agreed to come on. And uh, we can talk about all things heat pump here for the next uh, 55 minutes or whatever it is. Uh, Matt, welcome to the program. Tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be in this business. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you. That was a good um, good introduction into the program. Uh, I learned a lot right there, just uh, seeing what the mission was too. So thank you for having me. Um, I have been in the retail space um, since I was about 14. I was hired as a um, uh, appliance service technician apprentice at 14. Um, I was pretty focused. Um, I was very lucky to have a good mentor and I ended up buying that business um, when I was 18, actually in 1998 and started my own appliance company, appliance service. Um, and then I would refurbish used appliances that I actually got from Dave's World, refurbish them so they could be repurposed. And that was kind of I thought it was a good mission at that time, of course, 18 years old, trying to, to give back. And then I would um, refurbish those, repair them, and then sell them. Um, and then that relationship grew with Dave's World. Um, and Dave, Dan, uh, Dan Shero is the son of Dave. So I got to know him and his best friend. And now my other business partner, Robert Jankunis, um, they were running Dave's World at that at that time. Um, and then uh, we're a big mountain bike people. So we, uh, we, we were in the car a lot together and hanging out and we kind of created this vision um, of working together and merging our companies and doing something a little bit bigger scale than actually what Days World was. Now at that time, Days World was an appliance store um, and it's called Days World because it was not only a, uh, an appliance store, but we did all the home furnishings, flooring, cabinets, countertops. We had a radio shack for all your needs in Dover um, and then a U.S. cellular. We were the fourth U.S. cellular ever. Um, so this is going way back in the beginning of that. Um, so technology has always been our uh, big interest of ours. And then, um, and, and then the t I merged with Days World when I was um, 26 years old. And at that time is when I laid eyes on the first heat pump. And I remember, it's a funny story because I went to, I went to school for refrigeration. So I went to go get new tools and I asked this refrigerator, uh, the supply company, I saw a heat pump 
on a little dis- roll around display cart. And I asked them, I said, what is that? And they said, well, it's a heat pump, um, but they don't work in Maine. <laughs> and and I laugh and I'm like, so why do you have it? And he's like, well, I'm a, I'm a national chain and to be a showcase type dealer, which what we, we'd call it, I have to display this because, you know, there's, there's these John Stones in, you know, Texas and, you know, all over the country in warmer climates where they would work. And I kind of looked at him. I'm like, well, I want to try it out. Put one in my truck. And he's like, okay. So in the truck, it goes, I brought it home. I installed it and it worked. It worked the, the most beautiful air conditioning you could, I could imagine quiet, clean the air. And then we went into the winter and I actually saved a lot of money on my heating bill throughout the winter. So I was kind of the guinea pig. I, I think I was one of the first people to get a heat pump, a modern heat pump anyway, in Maine. What, what year uh, was this? What year was this? This is in um, 2006. Okay. Yeah. That was a little bit before the cold climate heat pumps came out, certainly. Oh, yeah. 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 So this was a five degree unit, right? But still, people weren't talking about it. Right. It was a RLMQ model from Fujitsu. And and I brought it to my business partners. And I was like, guys, I think I'm onto something here. I said, I don't think it's a mechanical. I don't think it's a mechanical problem. I think it's an educational and a marketing problem. And at that time, we were we were heavy into marketing. So Days World was really a marketing company that sold appliances and all those home furnishings. And we had to draw people to us because Dover, you know, is kind of the middle of nowhere if you look at the grand scheme of things. So um, that was it was interesting because my business partners at that time were like, we're doing all of this other stuff. We don't have really the bandwidth to to open a whole new department. But you know what? We respect you. We love you. Why don't we open like you can work on that? We'll call it Matt's pet project. So it became a joke, honestly. I put one in my house and then I put one in my business partner's house and he was like, wow, this is really nice. I can't believe that everybody needs one of these. And Bob is the, he can think big um, here. I'm more of a techie laborer type guy and Bob had the bigger grand vision. And he was like, all right, we're going to offer one of these to every person that you go out and service there because I was a full-time technician at that time too. So then I just started talking about it with clients and then I'd pick one up and if anything, air conditioning, right? So it's just a, it's magic. I mean, you can cool a house for 20 bucks a month, you know, and compared to window rattlers throughout the whole home. So as soon as, and then people trusted me and we're from a small town, we know everybody and they trusted me and I'd get one in. I remember my first client, I put one into his uh, 90 year old mother's house that had to have it, you know, 80 degrees all the time in that one particular room. So he didn't want to resize the whole house. We put one in that one room. She could keep it at 86 degrees. She loved it. She was comfortable. He was blown away by it and the electric bill didn't scare him. So he knows a lot of people in town, of course, told, and then it just kind of organically started getting bigger and bigger to the point where I was installing one, one a week to three a week to eventually one a day. And then my business partner being the great leader that he is, is says, Matt, you need to get an apprentice. And and you, we need to pull you out of the appliance service world. So we did that. Um, and then eventually, just over time, um, grew it. Now we have 92 people, 75 vans on the road. So it was, it was this labor of love, this huge grand vision that if this is going to be a thing, which we knew it was going to be because the product worked so well, um, 
that we needed to get structured and be the first ones to it. Um, and then, of course, Bangor Hydro at that time had a pilot program, invited me to be there because um, a couple of their employees got them. And then that went up the chain and there's like, whoa, wait a minute. We provide electricity and we've got this, this device that saves money but runs on electricity. They're not selling oil. They're selling electricity, right? So they did a pilot program. Um, we started putting in um, employees' homes and executives' homes, and they got a $600 rebate from Bangor Hydro, the company. Really? Then of course, this, this is before the cold climate heat pump was even invented. This is this is this is pretty close. Yeah, this is the five degree model. Right. Okay, so, Corp created the cold climate heat pump, as I understand it, from in Bangor. Must have been around 2010. Yeah, yeah. So this is before that, and right. and then that kind of grew legs, and then that was what really attracted Efficiency Maine to mm. create this rebate to incentivize mm. people. My incentive before any of that. So I had to get really creative, grassroots marketing, right? My my offer to any client was, and back then heat pumps were like three grand, right? You could get one in the home for three grand. Um, that's, of course, one particular part of the house, uh, house because I wanted to reflect back real quick on what you were saying before. You have two heat pumps. It can be done, but it has to be designed right, right? So so that had a big part to why you're you have success because it was done right. Now a lot of people haven't done it right and will would argue with your point earlier, but we can talk about that later. But the so what I did for marketing was that I offered a one year, which eventually grew into two year, a one year money back guarantee if you do not like the EPO. Meaning you could use it for the whole summer. We made you keep it for a year. So if you only had it for two months, we're like, no, you have to have it for two years. But we'll give you all your money back if you don't like it. And I say, I'll put my money where the mouth is. You're going to love this thing. In fact, you're going to you're going to make sure that I never come and take this out of your home because you're going to love it so much. And the people were, they either took me as a, I'm too sure of myself and maybe a little cocky or, geez, he really believes in this product and I trust him, which is 99% of the time that was the result I got. And that's what drove it. People are like, I'll do it. And the history of Days World, we've returned seven of them out of thousands. We did 4,800 4, homes last year, installed heat pumps. So, you know, we're moving a lot of heat pumps. So you combine that over the last 15, 16 years, we've had seven people. And I honestly think that they just needed the money. But so it's you know it's the proof is in the pudding we we gave people the opportunity to, to use it try it out um and we proved that heat pumps work in maine you know so that's and then, and then the cold climate one was developed anyway with i guess a different refrigerant or better compressor or something and yeah we went to 410 a they worked down to 15 or 20 below yeah, so they're rated to minus 13. Some are rated to minus 22, but they're using the same components. I think that's more of a marketing thing because they're all tested at 47 and 17 degrees. But, of course, the manufacturers are testing them in these cold climate chambers, which I've seen. I've, I've gone there and seen them. Um, they are – so when they say they're minus 13, that's being very conservative and covering their butts, right? I have had them in my house for – since the beginning – and I, I burned oil once this year, propane once this year, because when we got that minus 20 degree snap, um, if you remember this year, right. um, I, I needed to fire up because I did not design my house for minus 20 degrees. Now you can, 
you can. And we, I don't know what, at what point you want to talk about that, but there's, um, there's heat pumps out there with resistant backup heating now. So you can do a whole home um, with backup electric with these heat pumps now, which is very exciting. So one of the manufacturers came out recently and it was a bit of a troubling headline for me. It said, uh, and I don't remember which manufacturer it was, but they said, uh, just a warning, heat pumps don't work in older homes. And I found that uh, that headline quite troubling because I have a 1948 house with uh, walls that are not that well insulated. I have insulated my basement and my attic. But uh, I mean, clearly, if you're in, if you've got a gale force blowing through your house, a heat pump's not a good idea. You got well, need nothing will right. Yeah, so you need to. Do so would you rather lose when it comes to heat loss? Right? Would you rather lose efficient heat that was created or expensive oil heat that was created? One way or another, no matter how you are providing heat for that home, it's leaking out at some point. Now, you can control how fast it leaks out. But I always said to my customers, look, we ask them, is it well insulated? Not when, And we have different metrics of sizing these heat pumps. So it's up to you. Do you want to lose expensive heat or inexpensive heat? Mm-hmm. Is how I, I talk to the client, which would gain their attention to say, let's tighten up this envelope, size this to the way that it should be sized, and then we'll go from there. So it's more of an educational guide type approach that we have rather than let's sell you a heat pump. Right, right. So it's a bigger conversation. So that that article probably triggered a lot of people, but it wasn't the whole conversation. Well, that's, that's exactly right. Well, so since you mentioned it, let's talk about, you know, let's make believe I've come to you and say, I've got a, a 1948 home uh, and I'd like to put in a heat pump. What are the questions that you ask and how do you go about uh, advising people what they should put in? Yeah, I ask a lot of questions. How old how how old is it? What do you have for insulation if they know? If they don't know, I can usually tell because of the experience. And we use metrics. So a lot what we're doing is we're sizing how many BTUs you need per square foot per hour. Right? So an average home needs 25 BTUs per square foot per hour. So if you're like an older home like you, you might be sizing it for 30 to 35. And then I start having that whole conversation. Like, for instance, if you have a, you know, we'll go with a nice even number, um, you know, like a 100 by 100. Okay. So that's 10,000 square feet. Well, you times up by 25, you need 250,000, you know, BTUs. Um, A lot of homes are like, well, 35 by, you know, just say 35 by 40 is a small home, 1,400 square feet. We'd multiply that out and you need 35,000 BTUs of of, um, heat per hour. And then you look at what your heat pump's putting out. The next question is, do you want the heat pump to be supplemental? And you want to use that down to zero degrees, five degrees? Because we know how many BTUs we're putting out per hour by looking at the, you know, the technical data. So if they're like, no, we want to use it all the way down to minus 13 that it's rated. Well, heat pumps are putting out 80% of their full capacity at minus 13. So an 18,000 is putting out around 15,000 BTUs. So I would take this 35,000 and divide it by you know, 15,000 is, and I'd show them that model and you need two and a half of them, right? So I'd sell them three of them or two 18s. And then we'd start having the conversation of, because there's so many different ways of doing it, right? Different BTUs, different heat pumps, divide out the math, and then you get what they cost. But what I like about having multiple heat pumps rather than, I love multis because the look, you got one outdoor unit and up to eight indoor units, right? But you have one outdoor unit that's doing all the work. So I'd like to have the conversation of like, hey, let's build in some residual 
you know, so if one goes down, you still got the, you know, and then also you're lighting the load for those high efficient com compressors. The most efficient heat pump there is, is the nine and 12,000 BTU because the little mini compressor that's in there, that's humming along where those bigger multis have a much bigger compressor and are using more energy because they're bigger. Right. So it's a huge conversation. And I think this is where a lot of people get lost in the weeds because you have one particular home that was, that was focused on that was not sized properly or didn't have the most efficient way of doing it based on the price that they had to invest. So it's a huge conversation. We're in your home for a couple of hours. And, and a lot of times, especially for me now, because you know I've been, it's been close to 20 years now that I've been fully immersed in this is that when I have a conversation with somebody, I'm like, I need your trust. I need your trust. I know what I, I honestly, I promise you, I know what I'm doing here. I need to know your budget. I need to know what it is that you want to invest and what your end goal is. And then I work from there. And then I can open up all kinds of other windows. If they're like, wow, we're not, we are not ready to invest that. And I'm like, let's do the baby step approach, right? Let's get your main areas that areas that you're in your, your living space, your kitchen, or the great room in your kitchen and then your bedroom or the bedrooms instead of focusing on the whole home because lights that uh, you can turn them on and off like light switches too, right? If you get, if you keep your water and your, you know, where your water is and keep that above 40 degrees, you're, you're good, right? So why are we heating the whole envelope, which is the traditional oil approach or what we've been doing for the last 40 years the homes that we do now, there's a heat pump in every single room. A lot of the new homes we're doing now, I should say all of them. But now we turn, we're turn we turning rooms off like light switches. So why are you heating and cooling all these rooms when you're never in them? That's the traditional way of doing it, right? So again, it's this huge conversation and you have to guide these people that really don't have any idea other than they either work or they don't because they've had either a friend, relative or whatever say, they don't work. My electric bill went way too high. No way would I ever get one. Well, was it designed right? Did they have the right product in there? Did they have the right cold climate product in there? So there is a lot of conversations going out there. But to bring it all back in a full circle, Steve, they if they're designed right, 40 to 60%. Because guess what? We're not creating BTUs. We're not sending 30% of it out the chimney after combustion. We are absorbing BTUs from mother nature and then we're paying the toll to move them from one place to another outside in the electricity is the toll yep. if done properly yep that's a, that, uh, that's a great way to put it and you know the real key is it's inefficient to make heat and waste it up the chimney and everything else uh, with a you know a gas or oil system and, and I like the idea of uh, I never quite thought of it that way of, of being able to turn it off like a like a light switch but that's exactly right. And, and I also appreciate that you've said, as, as I've said on this program and as I've done in my own home, uh, I've got two outside units with two inside units. Um, and uh, that gives me redundancy. And if one one should fail, uh, I mean, I know it can be fixed, but if it's the middle of the weekend on, and it's 10 below, uh, yes. having one that still can operate. I said residual, but redundant is the word. Yes. That's right. That's that's right. Redundancy. So, so, so you mentioned a minute ago that the uh, the price uh, you probably said something like used to be three thousand dollars. In fact, I paid three thousand dollars for mine. What are they going for these days? 
they're up they because of the cost of copper and everything else and and, and this inflation you know that same three thousand dollar unit now is you know forty five hundred dollars really okay they've mm-hmm. crept up there um still worth it right and and uh, that's my strong opinion because of the payback you know if you look at the payback schedule and, and then as electricity increases as well there's still have that payback that people are looking for so typically if you can get a payback under seven years it's a do it you know you should do that because these heat pumps are going to last 20 years 20 plus years so if you can have something paid for for a good return on investment in less than seven years now back when they were three thousand dollars you're looking at two and a half to three year payback and now they're between five and seven all right. You know, I, figured, the rate. I figured two or three years on mine for sure. So, I mean, I put yeah. my first one in in 2016, second one in 2018. And and to me, it's it's all profit. If you and let me say and that. They're on out. Yeah. 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 And then this is the magical part. Is a lot of people like, geez, they, you, you, you tell me that they're going to last that long. Well, it's honestly like a, it's a bicycle. It's super simple. There's not a whole lot going on in them. Right. And then when they still question if I'm being a salesperson or a guide, I bring up the fact that every manufacturer now, every major manufacturer covers that every single part for 12 years. Name one other product in our country that is going to guarantee every single part to work for 12 years, okay? You go buy a $100,000 Ford F-250, what do you get for a warranty on it? (laughs) that does nothing but cost you money the whole time you have it so those are the points that i try to bring up is that 12 year warranty is that a a new thing i don't believe mine have that you you had a five and seven okay you had you had a five year on the uh, on all parts and then a seven year on the compressor which is the heart of it um now being an elite dealer now there is criterion so i i'm an elite dealer um so each each company like Mitsubishi, I'm an elite dealer. So I'm a 12 year, if you buy it from me, 12 years, but if you buy it from cousin Vinny, that is not part of their program, then you're going to get that five and seven. Okay. So, so there's 900 registered heat pump installers in Maine. You better ask the question of what the warranty comes with that. So again, full spectrum here, there's a lot going on with the, these programs. Um, same thing for Fujitsu, Samsung, Daikin, um, all of those major players, um, they all have a 12-year program if you buy it from their elites. Mm, okay. Tell me, what brands do you guys sell? Uh, we're 80% Mitsubishi. Um, and then from there, we sell a lot of um, Daikin. A lot of people might say Daikin, but it's they, from the fact, like in Daikin. So it's Daikin. Um, Fujitsu, Samsung. We carry all those brands and it's very, it's on purpose. Most manu- most heat pump companies are selling one brand. To me, that doesn't work for us because we're guides, right? So Samsung has the, I'm going to use an old term, best bang for the buck, right? They're the least expensive. They come with the 12 year. They don't have a lot of the, the options and, um, you know, like like Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi is the. This is my strong opinion. I'll say that first. But Mitsubishi, they've been in the game the longest. They have figured out how to make it the quietest, most smoothest running. They have all the fancy controls that go with it. You can run from your phone, 
stuff like that. So they're, they're my personal favorite. Um, and I also have the best relationship with them because this is why I'll make really, I'll back it up like this. Mitsubishi has us headquarters. They're based in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Or Swanee, excuse me, Swanee, Georgia. Um, so you're having a U.S. based support system where everybody else is either South Korea or Japan. So there's a break, there's a break there of how business is done in the U.S. compared to how business is done overseas. So I ended up having the best relationship with a with a home base. So that's where I get the most support, which is very important to me when I have to take care of the client when and if there's an issue or a problem. All right, that makes sense. So real quick, um, need to do a station ID here and, and a program announcement. Uh, you're listening to Power for the People here on WERU-FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor. And my guest today is Matt Scott of Dave's World with stores in Ellsworth, Scarborough, Wyndham, and Dover Foxtroff. And uh, I am talking to him uh, where he is in Dover Foxtroff right now, which I guess is their, their uh, corporate headquarters. Is that, uh, is that accurate? That's correct, yep. So and we're talking about all things heat pumps here. So well, one quick question. Uh, I know you guys specialize exclusively on heat pumps. Do you do hybrid hot water heaters, which are also heat pumps? Or is that is that outside of your realm? No, we 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 can we can get them. Um one of the we can get them. We've have installed a lot of them, especially in the beginning. Um I don't do as much of them anymore because I I want to focus 100 percent on one thing. And we already have 92 employees and hiring plumbers because we like to do it all ourselves. I don't like to subcontract anything. I like full control of my business. Um, that's what became a problem for us. But yes, you can buy a heat pump water heater at Days World and you can get the rebate and you can take it home with you. Okay. Um, but but you're, you need your own plumber to install. You need it. your own plumber and your own electrician. So, you know, um, I think definitely someday we'll go back to providing all that, but we're having to use every single resource and every minute of every day in order to keep up the demand that we have for heat pumps. Okay. And you mentioned you've got 75 vans on the road doing this stuff. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really? Yeah. So, uh, so, so we talked about cost a minute ago and the cost has gone up. Uh, where, where are we with the rebate through efficiency main for a heat pump? And uh, how do you guys handle those rebates? I think that Efficiency Maine does very well with their rebates compared to other states. Because a rebate, in my mind, is to promote and to ignite somebody. To, to, it's for a good idea, right? This is a good product. You should have it. It'll save you money. I think what's happening in other states is that they are offering too much money. And then the price keeps going up more and more and more because, unfortunately, there's contractors out there that jack up the money in order to to because they know that customer is going to get a lot of money back mm -hmm. again this is my own personal opinion i think efficiency main spreads it out they give you anywhere from you know 750 to two thousand dollars for each home depending on you know there's qualifications but there's other states that are giving you know 75 percent of it away which only drives the cost up even more unfortunately it's how it works yeah, um fun. yeah so I think it's there to, to um, ignite a product that everyone should have. I don't think it should. I think there has to be some responsibility of the client that want, should invest into their own savings. Mm. I think it's more meaningful. I think right. it's 
It, so so the, 750 is a, is a rebate that anybody can get. And then the 2000 is the low income version. Is that right? Correct. And how, yeah, do, they, and then they how, how, do, they, how do they determine that? Is that LIHEAP based? It's based on how what your value of your house is in the property. So in my area, and that's an, it's different in each county, um, but your house has to be worth 80,000 or less in, in this particular county, Piscataquis County, then you, then you're, you can get a $2,000 rebate, which mm-hmm. I think is, so I think they do a better job of finding who needs the extra rebate money. Um, we handle all the rebate paperwork. We do all of it. And it's, there's some paperwork involved. Um, yeah. and we so, just need a signature from the client. So the, the customer doesn't have to wait for the rebate to come back from efficiency main. It goes to you. And so they get their credit right up front. Is that right? We did that in the beginning. We do not do that anymore. Yeah. Um, okay. Because, because, for one very good reason, I, I remember looking at one point there was half a million dollars over today's world that restricts my operation from growing mm-hmm. cash flow. Um, and efficiency main gets that rebate rebate back to the company. I mean, back, excuse me, back to the client with between four and six weeks. Um, I had to free up my cash in order to grow and, and create more jobs. To me, job creation was more important than somebody getting their rebate quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that affect my sales? Probably. There's some competitors out there that will give it to you right instantly. Um, but my technicians, I think, are making pretty good hourly rate and eager to help that person when they need it. So I, I, you know, money has to go somewhere, and I chose to dump it into the community and the people rather than the rebate. Right, but you do do the paperwork for them so that they yeah. don't have to deal with that yeah. stuff. So that's yeah, we do all that. As well. So, and so here's my next question, and I actually don't know the answer to this question. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act also has some tax credits for heat pumps. And, and uh, last time I looked, it wasn't going to come along until sometime after the first quarter. Where do we stand with that? Do you have any sense of where, that, where that's at? That has, that has really put a monkey wrench in the whole operation, right, because of the unknowns. So the feds say that they're going to have rebates up to, you know, $2,000 or $2,000 for everybody. Um, how that is allocated, we don't know yet. We don't know if it's going to be through the state or through the feds. We don't know how much more it's going to be and what qualifies for that. So they said, they've, they've said there's a lot of rebate money coming. We don't know. Manufacturers don't know. I'm, I'm, I work very closely. Mitsubishi and all of their people, we have a meeting on that next month trying to figure out the answer to those questions. Now, what that has done, it has left people very confused. Do I wait? Mm. Do I wait for this extra rebate or do I put a heat pump in now? Right. So that has created some waffling in people that want to commit. So right now it has a negative effect on getting heat pumps in every single home, right? It's slowed down the process, but what's going to happen, it's going to slingshot and then it's going to get crazy, I, I believe, again, just right. like it did when COVID happened. Right. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And again, uh, when I said I wasn't sure where things stood, it's because I haven't you know, had to figure it out myself. So You can't right now. Yeah. I, I can't. And I would love to be the first person with that information to the clients, because we we love to educate people as well, whether we're selling them heat pump or not. Right, right. So uh, let me ask you this question. I think I know the answer to it, but uh, I'm assuming you're, you're exclusively doing air source heat pumps. Is that correct? 
as, a, oh, as, opposed, yeah. as opposed to ground source heat pumps. Yeah, and and that was on purpose. Right. And you do you want to just? Uh, I mean, I have opinions on that, but do you want to just chat about the difference between a an air source okay. and a ground source heat pump just for the education of the listeners? Sure. So ground source is you're you're obtaining those BTUs from water that's below the surface, which is much warmer than a zero degrees outside. So your COPs, your coefficient of performance is going to be much higher about, you know, so uh, ground source around, you get a COP around four, every dollar you spend, you get $4 back. Um, the average on an air source is three. So every dollar you spend, you get three back, but that's to the house. And then when you have a ground source, excuse me, you got to circulate that water or circulate that energy throughout the home, which now you're introducing a different source of electricity where air source is directly to that air handler. So I believe that it's after you spend a lot of money on drilling wells and doing all that work and all the duct work that's involved or the hydronics that are involved, by the time you get down to the nitty gritty, you're at the same efficiency and you've spent more money. Mm-hmm. And you spent a lot more money. A lot more money. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I, I was talking to a guy uh, a couple of years ago who designed uh, branch uh, banks. You know, so think about your corner branch bank. It's you know whatever it is, a thousand fifteen hundred square feet, um, and it's fairly open, and so it's a pretty good choice for an air source heat pump. Well, for a heat pump in general, but uh, his average cost for heating a small branch bank building like that was $150,000 using ground source heat pumps when in fact you could have done it for you know 15,000 uh you know 10 times less if you were using an air source so i completely agree with you there uh, but again i think it's important to get that information out there you you strip away all the investment cost yeah you're going to be more efficient right but efficiency has to match the return on investment should be a very important <laughs> part of that decision Right. And, and and it is true. I mean, a ground source heat pump will serve you better if it ever goes to 30 below, but maybe it won't go to 30 below anymore uh, these days. Tell us about uh, your recommendation on regular maintenance. What are you, what are you uh, signing your, your customers up for regular maintenance? Yeah. So a lot of people, this is the other thing that comes into efficiency. Some of the people that say that heat pumps don't work, don't do what we're about to talk about. Mm, right. A dramatic effect on the heat pump. And I just want to explain real quickly how it works. Filters. There's a filter on top of that coil inside that unit. That is where it's an uh, air source heat pump pulls air through a coil to transfer the energy. So air being pulled through the coils. If that filter is not clean, your efficiency goes out the window. And then also the dirt gets by it and then clogs the, the fins on that coil. And then over time, it becomes less efficient because you didn't properly maintain it. What people should be doing is like in my home, I've got a pretty clean home and that depends on too. It's how often, how clean is your home? You know, how many pets do you have? Stuff like that. Um, I clean my filters once a month, regardless. Do you do that? This is the interior ones you're talking about. The interior units that is pulling the air. Um, And then we tell the client that at every other year is really like a furnace. You got to clean every year. We tell our clients, look, don't you don't have to spend that extra money and clean them every year. If you want to stay on top of it, you know, the the guy that cleans his car every day, sure. Yeah, he's gonna to want to clean his heat pump and and you know, for his own peace of mind. My peace of mind says the client should clean them every other year in a normal environment. 
restaurants, high traffic areas. We do at least once a year, if not twice a year, especially in restaurants, stuff like that. The outdoor unit, of course, depends on you live on a dirt road, you know, and you've got high traffic and it's pulling in all that dust. So that's all part of the conversations that we have with the client. But in all reality, that outdoor unit's clean the same time as the indoor unit or professionally clean, deep clean, where we take it all apart and clean the coils from the inside out. One of the mistakes that people make is that they go out with a garden hose and spray off their condensing unit. Well, that condensing unit has two to three layers, depending on the manufacturer. And all you're doing is driving that dirt further into the system. Mm-hmm. It's going to be flushed from the inside out with a special high pressure um, washer, high pressure washer without getting any water on the electronics. So it's not really a do-it-yourselfer unless you're techie and you understand that language. Um, so it's worth, we charge $200 to come out to your home per unit that's in an outdoor unit, or we charge $100 per piece. So if you have an outdoor unit and two indoor units, $300, we come out and we really take it, we take it completely apart and flush it, check all the vitals of the system, make sure your system's up and running and good, and then we're off. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to be very careful of who's cleaning your heat pump because that can have some negative effects down the road if there's moisture that is introduced to right. the, so the, so the only homeowner maintenance uh, that makes sense and is safe is the in, is the filter in the interior cassette. Is that correct? You do that, and your heat pumps are going to be efficient and last for years to come. And and I'll just tell the story there in terms of how I know about this. So uh, at the after, I'll just say it this way. So after I clean my filters, if I set my heat pump at seventy degrees, the room is seventy degrees. A few weeks later, I'll notice that I have to set the heat pump at 72 to get the room to 70. And as soon as I see that kind of discrepancy, I go and vacuum the filters, and then it goes right back where the temperature of the room is the same temperature as the setting. So it's it's that, and it's amazing. The the filter won't even look dirty. I I vacuum it, and all of a sudden... It's dirty, but just not to your eye. Right, right. This is what's so good about it. I have clients that say, oh, I have to do this. And I'm like, you know what? On your oil furnace that you've had... All those years, as that carbon builds up in all those little flues where the heat exchanger is, wouldn't it have been nice to be able to clean that and get the maximum efficiency? But because you don't have to, but because you can't get in there and clean it, you don't have to do any homework, but your efficiency is going out the window. So look at it as that you're literally gaining, <laughs> you're putting money in your household by saving that electricity. So, right, right. Oh, and it's not hard. So we're down to inside of 15 minutes, and there's a couple of other things that I would like to talk about here. Uh, one is the fact that, that uh, as you've already mentioned, that heat pumps can become air conditioners in the summertime. Uh, and, and they are way more efficient than your window out rattler. Uh, yeah. and, and in fact, one thing that I do, and I'm interested in your reaction here because I've not found any data on it, I actually run mine uh, most of the time in dry mode, dry mode. in AC mode. Is that is that a smart thing or not? Uh, I think you're using a, less electricity, and if you're comfortable, that's all that matters. So dry mode is just light air conditioning mode. So air conditioning basically, um, or like how a dehumidifier works, it, dehumidifier works. There's a delta, right? There's a there's a temperature difference which creates moisture, and then you get rid of that moisture and you get rid of the damp feeling in your home. Um, a lot of people do that. It's just light air conditioning mode. The compressor outside is running at a, the lowest RPM it can. It's circulating the refrigerant at a very low temperature. It's going to take, if you set it in dry mode and leave it, 
that's where you're going to see the result. If you are setting it in dry mode and expecting to make a huge difference in that hot room, then that's going to take a long time. But this is what I tell people. A lot of people think on and off is good, right? And I mentioned it earlier, shutting on and off like light switches. But if you're going to be spending most of your time in that room, leave them on. Yeah. Heat pumps, we say, are just like bulletproof vests. They only save you if they're on, right? And that's got a, lot, a very true statement. So what I do is a lot of people are like, I don't want my room that cold. I'm like, set it at 76 then. 76, you're getting rid of those 3.3 pints an hour that they're capable of, six gallons a day. You remove that moisture. You're not walking into, remember, you know, you walk into a movie theater and you have to, you're like, shoot, I should have brought my sweater. You can set it at the temperature you're comfortable with. 76 degrees with no moisture in it feels like 73 degrees in the winter in your home. Mm, right. it's, it's just comfortable. So I tell people to set it for comfort and because that's the other big part of these is that you can be really comfortable in your space for less money, right? So I tell people like set it to be comfortable and then look at your bill. Yep, I, I totally agree. And, and again, you know, 76 in dry mode works fine for me. Uh, but obviously if I come in and it's already 100 degrees, um, yeah, that's, not, that's not going to do it. And so, you know, efficiency main will tell people, don't don't set your your thermostat up and down in the wintertime. Leave it at your comfort level. Uh, and, you know, because it's everything not... becomes that temperature. Right. So right. if this is in my room, this this and I set it in, in the wintertime for 73 degrees, this becomes 73 degrees. So doesn't my table, my chair, everything in there. If you go up and down, these objects are fighting against that thermostat the whole time. And you've actually shot yourself in the foot. If you move your temperature more than four degrees, you've literally cost yourself more money. Mm -hmm. And if your walls are cold, it's going to feel cold to you because you're surrounded by cold. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. Forget it. Forget it. Yep. So, so uh, relative to decisions that need to be made. So uh, when you talk to a, a homeowner, you talk about BTUs and sizing and things like that. Then when you get past that point and they're relative to they're ready to make a decision or, and, and do an installation. You've got to choose where to locate the, the cassette inside, and you've got to choose to where to locate the unit outside. Tell us about that process. It's that is one of the most important processes because you know a lot of people think that you have to have them very close together. They're so efficient, you can spread them out a little bit between the indoor and outdoor unit. We try to find this couple things we try to hit on. Number one, snow coming off your roof. Gable end is the best way place to put it. Um, if that's not doable, then build a, uh, some kind of protection over it, a doghouse or something to deflect that snow. So that's a big part of the conversation. And then aesthetics, right? My house, very, very particular. That unit is on the gable end where I can't see it. The lines go under the house and then up in inside walls so I don't see any of the plastic or slim duck or piping on the outside of my house. So there's the hard way of doing it, and then there's the easy way of doing it. That all is based on aesthetics. A lot of meters don't care. <laughs> What's the least expensive way? Put on that gable end, pipe up, boom, good to go. But it's part of that conversation. Now, a lot of homes we go to, we give them the option. This is how much it's going to cost to hide all the piping and do it, you know, what I call major surgery. Then there's other replacement ways to do it where we can be way less intrusive, uh, way less intrusive, but it's going to affect the eye. Um but some people don't care. It's on the backside of their house. It's facing the woods. No one cares. Uh, but you got to be really careful about snow runoff, um, water runoff, all of that stuff. So it's important to have a good guide. 
All right. And do you, so you mentioned, uh, if, especially if you're not putting on a gable end that somebody should build a doghouse roof over it. You can also get metal covers to go on them. If you're on a, if you're on the gable end, do you recommend those metal covers or not? Yeah, I offer them on every single job. They're a couple hundred dollars now. Those went up, but it protects the, the snow that lands on that. It deflects it and has it slide off. It's not running down over the coil or over that little grill in the front. It's worth the investment. I would put one on every single heat pump. In fact, I've harassed them so much just to have them come with it. it like if you're saying cold climate heat pump manufacturer, then put something to deflect that snow off from it. Um, so that's a that's a battle I'm trying to to win for everybody. Right, but that makes a lot of sense to me. And again, if it's I mean, if your if your unit is completely covered in ice, that's got to affect its performance. You know, at least oh. until until it melts that stuff off. Right. So let's come back to the inside unit in just a second, but it just occurred to me that one question that I wanted to ask you was, Do uh, does the exterior unit ever need to have its refrigerant recharged? Not if it's done properly in the beginning. Sorry, so say that again? Not if it's done properly in the beginning. So refrigerant will last forever if it's never introduced to air. Okay. So... You have to take those refrigeration lines, pull every bit of moisture out of them. This is a step that a lot of people don't know that was missed on their the cheap guy, right? You got to pull all the moisture out of those because refrigerant does not like moisture. So you got to pull all the air, moisture, air is moisture out of those lines. And then you've got to flush it with nitrogen, which is an inert gas that absorbs moisture. You do three flushes of that, get all of it out. And then if it's sealed properly, with the flares or if it's um, brazed together where it connects the indoor and outdoor unit, then your refrigerant literally will last forever. Okay. Forever. And, and if it, and if you de develop some kind of a pinhole leak, uh, yep. you, you can just tell by the perform the lack of performance. Is that right? You can tell by the lack of performance. It starts using more electricity or it gives you a code. All right. Um, that was probably one of our biggest learning curves out there with having so many people we had to develop very strong standard operating procedures for how these things are um, are, are fired up. Mm -hmm. The startup process has to be very, it's very important. If heat pumps, let's put it this way. If anybody out there has had a heat pump that was installed in a couple hours, you get somebody to come out and do a triple purge um, with nitrogen and get that system healthy because that will really dictate on how long that compressor and sealed system works. Um, you can do it wrong and have it work correctly for a couple of years. Um, so you might want to make sure that it had a triple evac was what we call it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. Great information to have for, for homeowners to know. All right. So back to where, uh, where your, your discussion process questions, preferences go for locating the interior cassette. Yeah. Very, the, even more important than the outdoor unit. Um, it's all about diffusing that energy. Where is that heat going or where are we pulling the heat out? Okay. So a lot of times you want them, like if you see back, um, the, my door is right here in front of me. That heat pump would want to go right up here so it serves this room and then blows to that doorway. That's the best place for, for those units. Um, you don't want them blowing into a wall right next to them because that heat will come back and short cycle the unit. Um, and then aesthetics has a lot to do with that. So again, that's a huge conversation with the client. 
I say no a lot to my clients. Mm-hmm. They say, I want it right here. It's out of the way, out of, out of sight, out of mind. And then the aesthetic seems to be the biggest problem, right? And then it's going to take somebody to convince them that this investment is an investment and you need, it's all about getting the best energy usage, right? So a lot of customers, they put it in a place where they can't see it, but it's not going to perform like it should. And I have to say, no, I have to say, no, this is not good for you. And then they complain about the look of it. And I'm like, I'm looking around your whole space and you've got this banged up baseboard that looks so ugly. It's full of dirt. It's all around everything. Your furniture can't be pushed up against the wall and you're okay with that, but you don't, but you can't have this 32 inch wide white thing on the wall. Or when microwaves came out, you want me to put that on my countertop, that big black thing? Like, can you imagine living on a microwave now? <laughs> so I have those fun conversations with clients and say, hey, look, once you put that up there where it should go, your, your eye doesn't even go to it anymore. You don't even notice it. And that's what I would do. And if you can't stand it and that heat pump that's saving you all that money drives you so crazy, I'll take it back and give your money back. Mm-hmm. Yep. never hear from them again. So it's very important. It's all about getting that heat circulating throughout the home in the return using. Right. So uh, uh, where was I going? Oh, yeah. So you can get in uh, wall units that sit down towards the floor. Uh, yep. How many of those yep. do you tend to install? Or do you send, you do most, you, you do? We do a lot of wall units. The wall units are the most. Floor units, the second most. Third most is the cassettes that we cut out your ceiling and, and put that recessed cassette up in. Right, which takes a lot more installation and, and destruction. Yep. And now air handlers down in the basement or in the attic that can serve three, four, five rooms or the whole home from one air handler in your basement or attic. So there's a lot. They've figured out how to convert any new construction or retrofit into using a heat pump. So if you have a home, we can put a heat pump in it. Yep. Sounds right. And uh, so uh, in a couple of minutes here, uh, I guess I have kind of two questions, but the first one is, what's your uh, advice on how to set, if, let's assume you have an old oil boiler or a gas-fired furnace, you're installing a heat pump to reduce your fossil fuels and save some money. How do you go about setting the thermostats on those, uh, on each of those so that they work in conjunction with each other? Like for multiple units, you said? Well, um, let's say you let's yeah let's say you have a heat pump in the room with the thermostat that also controls a boiler. Oh, um, so what I uh, you want the heat pump to do the heavy lifting, right? You want to set that for your comfort zone, and then you want to set your oil. So at my house, it would be seventy three degrees in the room, and then I have my oil set for sixty five to sixty seven degrees. So if anything happens to the heat pump, the heat uh, there's enough temperature difference where. It triggers you that something's wrong and then it protects your home. Right. That, that's uh, exactly the same sort of thing that I've, I've talked about here for sure. And I've also said uh, for those who uh, have uh, some kind of fossil fuel unit, your typical uh, action when all of a sudden you have trouble with it is to call up the person who sold it to you and they're going to then sell you another oil boiler or gas fired uh, unit when in fact uh, doing, if you've got, if you've got an old fossil fuel fired heating system, uh, my my advice is always install heat pumps, leave the old inefficient one in place. And if you yep. need it for a couple of weeks in the middle of the winter, so what? You're not 100%. spending that much money on the fuel. It, just, 100%. it, works, it works well that way. And again, setting the thermostats in the way you've just described makes perfect sense. 
So you've been listening here to Power for the People on WERU-FM, 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, with guest Matt Scott of Dave's World. And we have covered a whole host of issues here with, um, from my experience with heat pumps. Great advice coming out of Matt uh, for, uh, for a variety of things that we've talked about here. So thank you so much for being uh, on air with us, Matt. Uh, and uh, we'll see, uh, maybe we can have you on again another time in a year or two just to kind of revisit where the industry's at sure. and to, uh, to educate again people a little if bit. If there's more. anybody out there that has any questions for me, 1-800-HEAT-PUMP, it's an easy number to remember. I'll answer and I'll take the time, whether you buy from me or not, I love educate. I love the educational part. So just call me up and I'll explain anything that you need. And, and again, you certainly have, have been the educator on this program. So Power for the People airs the fourth Wednesday of each month in the public affairs time slot at 4 p.m. And join us next time to learn more about energy topics, policies, technologies, and solutions for your life that uh, ultimately are going to save you money and launch you into the future of energy here in the state of Maine. I'm Steve Cowell. Thanks so much.